This is the weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dockett and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today is Wednesday, July 1st. Still morning, so we're still seeing some movement in the market, but uh, they're pretty much flat. Dow sitting at 25,814. S&P's up 13.26 points, or 0.043%, sitting the day at 3,113. VIX is down slightly by 3.84%. It's hovering around 29.26. And we've got our bonds right now currently sitting at, you know, 0.671%. So around where they've been for the last couple of days or so. Um, Grant, I know the new, uh, got ourselves the new, uh, some more numbers came out today. Uh, If you want to get into some of those. Yeah, well, with the, with the end of the second quarter, we, we now have our first two quarters of the year. And boy, are they are they completely different? Uh, actually, it was the biggest swing in the market since 1932 to see uh, that big quarter to quarter swing. That said, the second quarter was the biggest quarterly gain since 1998. Uh, the S&P 500 rose 20%. So another way of, of saying this is that we had our best quarter of the 21st century, which is pretty significant considering earnings are are pretty awful right now, if we just want to be blunt. Uh, Analysts estimate that profits at blue chip American companies fell 44%, uh, according to FAC set. And and I guess now we will see what what Q2 earnings really are as companies are going to have to begin to to disclose that uh, as we did see some reopening here. But uh, I, I think a big one that we'll be looking at moving forward or even tomorrow is how uh, June job numbers came out. So we did see in May a surprise gain of 2.5 million payrolls beating the forecast. Uh, and so we'll have to see if, if we're able to continue that here in June. Yeah, tomorrow's going to be a big day. Um, if everyone's on the lookout at 8.30 Eastern time, initial jobless claims will drop. Uh, employment report will drop around the same time. Um, and then you know, we got international trade numbers and factory orders coming in on Thursday as well. Uh, but I mean, really, you know, June's gonna it's gonna tell us a lot because uh, you know, in May there was definitely a surprise. Um, you know, there was two point five million payroll jobs, which uh, you know, beat poor uh forecasts by ten million jobs because we thought we'd still be in the red. So uh June's gonna be really important to see if you know we're continuing this or whether that was an anomaly. Absolutely. I, and I think we will continue to see to see some job increase, but we, we continue to see uh, unemployment insurance filings month, week after week continue to stay at, at all-time highs. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see w- what the numbers are. If I had to guess, I, I think they may um, – be a little bit beneath forecast, but that's just that's just my guess. Right, I mean, and, and then one thing we should also talk about and consider is, um, I mean, the employment population number. We talk a lot about non-job formal payrolls, but when we're looking at the number of employed people as an actual percentage of the U.S. population, 
uh, you know, that's that's down to 52.8% in May. Um, so you've got, you know, 47.2% of Americans are, uh, you know, n- n- not in the market. Um, and this is according to recent BLS statistics. Uh, when we look at, you know, our record high, that was in 2000, um, which we had 64.7% in, in, the, um, in the employment population ratio. And, and in order to get back to a number like that, we'd need something like 30 million jobs. Uh, of course, the country's gotten older since 2000, but at the same time, that just seems like a, a huge, huge discrepancy. It is, and, and this ratio really takes a broader look at the overall labor market because it takes into account adults who are not in the labor force and captures uh, people who may be discouraged from from finding a job, whereas the unemployment rate is just looking looking at people who are actively looking for a job. So uh, to, to create 30 million jobs is going to be pretty significant because how many jobs did we lose in the first eight weeks of the coronavirus? Was it 36 million? Uh, and we can see how, how fast a pandemic and, and let alone a recession can, can erase job growth. So uh, as we mentioned, June numbers, if we can continue to see a, a positive uptake, I think that will be that will be good. But we, we may have high unemployment here for, for the time being. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's just going to be, you know, this month we're, we're expected to, the jobless rates expected to decline to 12.4%, um, you know, from 13.3% in May. Uh, that's, you know, Dow Jones, you know, economists. But like I said, there's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines and we're not counting people who were in the workforce and may have simply, you know, decided to try and do without working or, um, um, you know, are just on the sidelines. So the economy's not out of the woods in that regard by, by any, um, metric. I think a big, and the, yeah. And the labor force accounts for only 60% of the U S adult population. So when, when we look at the, the broader picture, there may be, as you said, a lot of people going to the sidelines and, and not jumping back in for the time being, which which may also impact our um, our unemployment rate. Right. I mean, I think you're, you're going to have some silver foxes there who might have been happy to work for a couple of years, but have decided to kind of make do on Social Security and whatever they've got saved. So, um, you know, they might be walking out here a few years earlier than they had intended, but. But yeah, I mean, and we have to go for it. <laughs> going back <laughs> online. It's it's, it's a, a, a little hard to take cues, but we, we we should talk about the Fed again. They're they're constantly, I would say, being being active, changing some of their policies, and and really trying to help stabilize. We saw the latest one come out last week, where uh, the Fed is now capping second quarter levels of dividend payments for U.S.-based biggest banks after looking at the stress test. So limiting dividends as well as stock buybacks in response to the the pandemic. We saw uh, bank shares really fall. Goldman Sachs was down about a little over 3.8%. J.P. Morgan was also off. And then um, Wells Fargo, who's really been in the Fed's crosshairs ever since they had the fake account scandal, uh, now fell over 4%, which was the largest follower. Drew, what's your take on the Fed really putting more restrictions on on the U.S. banks? 
Well, there's a couple things we don't know yet. Uh, they didn't say when the new capital plans would be required or in terms of analytics, how they'd be judged. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it's somewhat, it's not unsimilar to an entirely new stress test. Uh, so the Fed is really used to take kind of a laissez-faire role. I think it's really reestablishing itself um, in the capital distribution process. And uh, it's doing it just, you know, in order to make sure, um, I mean, you know, companies remain solvent, um, you know, and there's also, of course, not they, that they don't want to juice up the, the stocks too much. So, you, so you're really going to have to look at capping dividends um, and future payouts and, you know, based on a formula linked to recent earnings. Um, I, I think it all makes sense. It is. We are seeing a much stronger and assertive Fed, so I'm sure that's going to make some people uncomfortable. Um, the level of, you know, just just power that an unelected body has, um, essentially. But I, I mean, I, I understand what they're trying to accomplish, at least. Yeah, I do too. But I also think that the a dividend is usually a good sign, especially if we think about banks who usually have a pretty consistent dividend. Therefore not having a dividend maybe signaling as we mentioned distress of the companies which banks would would probably not want their share their stockholders to to think about but overall it's it's really really interesting to see how the fed is flexing as, as much of their of their muscles that they can in the in the marketplace right now if it's one the the corporate bond buying back and and then buying bonds as well in the in the index market and now uh, putting restrictions on the banks it's there they have a if you're just looking at the fed and their actions they're painting a very grim picture of the overall u.s economy right now yeah and i mean under this new rule i mean a bank's dividend won't be able to exceed average quarterly earnings for the you know previous four quarters so um you know you, you put that in lieu when everything that's happened it's it's going to be interesting waters to navigate um for sure. I mean, and, and ultimately, I think when we look at what's going on in the economy is we have more uncertainty now just because we're in a weird situation where there's really too few cases for another lockdown. But at the same time, there's still way more than uh, business than usual. And, and as we've you know alluded to, it's, it's certainly shifts. But, you know, there, there's segments of the economy that were open and that now are uh, have to postpone the shutdowns, um, you know, namely states like Arizona and Texas. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just shift course, really. Well, I think you made the point a, a couple podcasts ago that you felt that it hit the East Coast first and now is making its way west and south. And it, and it seems that that's the case. If we just take a look at New York, New York was the epicenter and then they went into complete lockdown. And now their cases are, are declining. Whereas as you said, California, Texas, Florida, these other states that were not hit very hard initially, we're, we're seeing a, a, a big increase in, in cases. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Are, will states, some states, California, Florida, Texas, are walking back their reopening plans, shutting down bars and gyms and, and other cases like that. Just over the past week, we saw cases jump up. I believe it was 42%. And we, we had our biggest day, I believe, yesterday, uh, and, and we're just going to continue to see cases jump 
Um, it, it would just be interesting. I, I personally don't see the U.S. being able to go back in the in the lockdown again. A lot of people think it will be the boy who cried wolf effectively, but um, I, I think our cases are really going to surge over the next couple of months. Yeah, we. I mean, we've we've also seen increased testing, and uh, it appears that you know whether it's hitting a younger demographic or whether the potency of the disease has gone down, uh, that seems to be you know occurring as well. But I mean, certainly, you know, you have a wide variety of state officials. Uh, you know, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced that he's going to roll back some of the state's reopening plans. Um, you know, you had uh, New Jersey, which was one of the hardest hit states. Are uh, they're approaching it? You know, a little bit more tepidly too. They're not. They're not opening up as as robustly as they thought they would initially. So, I mean, there's a series of states where whether the virus is new or whether the virus is old, um, they're kind of walking back the pace of reopening for sure. Right. I mean, we we, we did see. COVID-19 cases globally, top 10 million on Sunday, and the U.S. reported about a quarter of the cases. So U.S. now has a really, really big stronghold. We're, we're not, a, we're still <laughs> barred from entering the, 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 the EU. So um, it, it's, I think that people were worried about a second wave, but I don't think we ever got over the first one. So uh, it, it, it's moving west and south. So uh, we, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, conversations on on masks. Um, it was funny to see uh, how Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and and uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell, before they went in for meetings, uh, they gave each other a nice little elbow bump, both wearing masks. Uh, Goldman Sachs had a prediction that uh, the econ the economic effect of wearing masks to slow the the vi virus would uh, avoid a five percent decrease in America's GDP. So I think that we're we're gonna have to see some precautions. Is it wearing a mask all the time? Is it a slower opening? And maybe restaurants continue to operate at 50% capacity. But uh, in uh, even after the fourth holiday, I, I would expect to see some more action from from states where there's where cases are begin to surge. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, we know. There was recently another business roundtable, uh, which is, you know, a trade group representing the CEOs of some of the country's biggest companies, and th they were certainly not optimistic. I mean, many people indicate that the uh, impacts of the coronavirus are going to linger until at least the end of 2021, and almost a third of these CEOs figured that it could go on even longer than that. Um, so, at least from, you know, the, the top management, there, there is definitely kind of renowned pessimism in terms of how long the lockdown is going to last, at least how long the economic ramifications are going to last. Yeah, so this, this survey is really, uh, it's a composite index of chief executive plans for capital spending and hiring over the next six months, and, I, and it fell 34.3. Uh, which was the 234.3, which is the lowest reading since the second quarter of 2009, really our, our last recession. And so that, that really shows how some of the most powerful executives are, are still concerned over where the U.S. is as we battle this health crisis. A another aspect of the business roundtable is that 
they uh, urge the back to work bonus that we were discussing that matches $600 added unemployment benefit um, for bring bring workers back on so they get that uh, once they become employed again, which I think is great. Um, I think it incentivizes people getting back to work and uh, and looking for jobs as, as we talked about with some some workers being very discouraged in the current labor market and <laughs> and who can blame them really? Yeah, no, I mean, and additionally, you got to compound all this with issues of there's been millions of people who still haven't gotten their stimulus checks, uh, you know, and and they've added 3,500 new uh, people operating the call center. But at the same time, it's just there's going to be a lot of uncertainty on our government's ability to pay people out. Um, you know, the stimulus was, I mean, it was great, but of course it's been haphazard in terms of who gets paid out when and how long it's taken. Uh, so when we look at back at, you know, back to work bonuses and, um, and, and our government's ability to really just pay people cash in hand on such a massive scale, uh, there's a lot of work they have to do for sure. Yeah. And we, and, and we saw the Senate just yesterday, vote to extend the, the PPP program another additional five weeks and so it has to go through the House and the White House, but it, it seems like there was uh, still, a, still a need for fiscal stimulus and, and they're stepping up the plate. One thing we've also seen is definitely mortgage bailouts have begun to swell. Uh, there's a you know few weeks of declines, the numbers of borrowers delaying to pay their monthly mortgage payments. Um, you know, that number's kind of sharply risen, you know, once again. So, uh, I mean, that's going to be, you know, there's 4.68 million homeowners and forbearance plans, uh, which allows them to delay their mortgage payments for, for at least three months. Um, that number is now, you know, 8.8% of active mortgages. So that's up, you know, 0.1% um, just over last week. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's right now we're looking at $1 trillion in unpaid principal. So definitely, definitely mortgages are something to look at right now. You're absolutely right. If, and if we think about the, the CARES Act that President Trump signed in March, allowing borrowers to miss payment at, at least three months and potentially up to a year. So I think you're, you're right now that we're, we're getting to that three-month mark since March. We're going to continue to see uh, these increase. One thing to note, if we look at it by loan type, uh, almost 7% of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac backed mortgages were were in uh, forbearance. And then also we had 12.5 of all uh, FHA and VA loans uh, currently also there. So, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty large percentage of it. Um, so it'll be, be something definitely to look on out, uh, be on the lookout for, and also to see how that affects the uh, maybe mortgage-backed securities or, or uh, even if we think about the more commercial space with the, uh, with the REIT market moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, at, at the level currently, mortgage uh, servicers would need to advance up to $3.5 billion per month uh, to holders of you know, government-backed mortgage securities um, when, when it comes to COVID-related uh, forbearances. So, so that's, that's you know, on top of everything else. Just one additional thing to be on the lookout for, <laughs> yeah. especially as we move into the next quarter. Uh, but just to move across the pond for a second, we saw uh, German counselor, Chancellor uh, Angela Merkel 
also talking with uh, the French president Macron about uh, how to move forward with the, with the EU stimulus package. Uh, she's really used to be a, a stronghold against some of these, I would say, um, overall European overarching policies, but now she's, she's joining. And this would be um, on July 17th, we're having the EU members uh, discuss this plan where the block would issue uh, 750 billion euros in joint debt and make 500 billion euros uh, in grants to nations most affected by the, the corona crisis. Uh, so it's interesting to see how, how she's uh, ch changing from her her usual uh, stance on this and, and coming over to, I would say, a little bit more of a, a liberal stance on this. Yeah, and this this kind of also indicates why it's so interesting. Now with, you know, a vacuum of power in Britain, uh, if, you know, you have a Franco-German, you know, alignment on these issues, so to speak, and, and the Germans become less of budget hardliners, I think you're going to see countries like Austria, you know, Sweden, the Netherlands, Denmark, who are much, much more uh, fiscally, um, you know, the balanced budget countries at the end of the day, they're, uh, you know, they're going to feel increasingly left out, um, at least in terms of, you know, these, these massive initiatives. So, I mean, part of this you're seeing, I mean, I mean you know, France and, and Germany can really kind of uh, run the floor with a lot of this now that you have uh, Great Britain out as a counterweight. Um, the aid program is going to extend support to, you know, some of the Southern European economies that have had a long, long stretch of economic decline. But, um, you know, you look at Spain and Italy and Greece, they're projected to shrink by almost 10% this year. And that's, that's on top of years of budget issues and older populations and, um, and, and everything else. So I do think it's vital to, you know, lift, lift all ships right now in the Eurozone, but, there are definitely going to be countries who are feel like their their concerns about some of the spending is is not is not is not going to be heard. But I do think that northern countries do have a point in in that they have consistently had to foot the bill for some of the the southern countries, uh, as you mentioned, Greece and Spain and Italy. Uh, so it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see, but definitely having Germany backing the policy is, is going to carry some significant weight. Um, overall, we'll see if, if, as you said, Netherlands, Sweden, Denmark, and Austria, who are really going to be the, the opposition to this, uh, move sides. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Uh, and with that, we're kind of coming up on time. Is there anything uh, our listeners should be looking at? Um, over this coming 4th of July week? Well, other than having a, a great 4th of July, I'm a little bummed that there won't be any parades or, or fireworks this year. But I, I think the big thing to look at in the coming weeks here is really going to see the second quarter earnings that are now going to be start being released to see if, uh, if customers ha have been coming back, especially looking at some of the, the consumer spending moving forward. Uh, but really seeing how this second quarter with some of these phase reopenings have impacted companies' earnings is, is the big thing that I'd be looking out for. What about you, Drew? Well, the job numbers come out tomorrow, um, along with some of 
the other, you know, international trade numbers. So those are going to be a big thing to be, you know, be wary about. But also auto sales have certainly been tanking in the second quarter um, when we're looking at GM and, and Fiat and everything else. So uh, that's going to be something to watch out too. whether we see uh, a spike in in auto demand as, you know, we get into the summer doldrums. But um, that remains to be seen. And with that, uh, we hope everyone has a great 4th of July weekend, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.